I had to shake him on my last case, Big O don't play. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Musky Hunks Podcast. I'm one of your, we're going to call it four hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. We have one hunk that's not quite here yet. <laughs> Hopefully he will be here. But we have at least two other hunks on the line at this point, And we're going to say hello to Mr. Donnie Swink. Swinky. Good evening, boys. What's up, Donnie boy? What's up, uh, buddy? Not a whole lot. Screen looks a little small tonight compared to what it's been lately. Yeah. Got an intimate feel here this evening. Talk yeah, about absolutely. Talk about intimate feel. Let's talk about this this purple glowing light behind Donnie. I was Swink wondering right what now. that was. You got a grow a grow operation going on behind. I do, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's uh mine and my wife's seedlings for all our uh all our uh, plants for the garden this year. Oh, oh cool. Coming along pretty well. They're going to be transplanted outside here real soon. I thought you had the rose from Beauty and the Beast behind you for a second. I was like, what the heck is going on over there? Sorry for the Disney reference. All right. We also have on the phone tonight, Mr. Owen Seaman and Big O's Bucktail. What's up, guys? Glad to be here tonight. Hey there. How's it going? Hey, Nick. Nick just joined us. Hi, Nick. We also have on the phone tonight, Mr. Nick Feasler. <laughs> Welcome aboard. I, did, I had to put my Ryan Reed hat on and fix the computer real quick. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, you got to have one of those hats for sure. So we have a guest for tonight. And this is, I would say, since I'm going to try to attempt to do the intro and not butcher this one. I I would say this is someone that we've been trying to get on. I know we've talked about this for a little while here. Um, This is somebody that's local. We're going to say from the great state of Ohio, we're going to continue the Ohio theme on this one. And somebody that's been making baits for a relatively long time and putting out just absolutely stellar musky lures. And quite frankly, I believe these particular musky lures cracked the top 10 list in musky zinc in the uh what i I guess i would consider that the lunge log right correct for last for 2022 yep for for 2022 so that individual is mr greg tem and extreme musky lures greg what's up buddy hey how you guys doing thanks for having me thanks for (laughs) thanks for joining us greg man this is uh, we're looking forward to this one yeah Absolutely. Me too. I, I can tell you like probably, I don't know, it's probably been a couple of years, but I started talking to Greg, I would say more recently within the last maybe year or two, Yep. kind of really fishing, really starting to get into the minis and some of these extremes. I know years ago I talked to you at a show, um, but it, this is, I mean, this is another exciting one for us. Cause I know like Donnie, Nick and I, we spend a lot of time trolling. Yeah. But, but that's not all you make. You make some casting baits too. I do. So we'll get into some of that here tonight. So sure. Yeah. Again, we appreciate you jumping on with us. Absolutely. So where, 
where do you guys want to start with Greg on this one? Do we want to just go all the way to the beginning? Yeah. Well, Let's first of all, what part what back. part of Ohio are you from? So I, I live in Marysville, which is just northwest of Columbus, um, near about 20 minutes from Dublin. Um, if, almost, if you're familiar with Jack that. Jack Nicholas. Yep, the Muirfield Tournament. So, yep, my, yep. my work is about two miles from the, the golf course. My real job, I should say. My real job. Cool. So, yeah. That's a beautiful golf course. It is. It is stellar for sure. Have you played it? Not played it. I have been cool. there and watched uh, several times. I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to make that drive out there and watch it, just to walk the walk the course because it's 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 you know it's as it's just about as pretty as Augusta Augusta National. Yeah. It just doesn't get the. It doesn't have the same prestige, but it's definitely getting there. Oh, it's it is. It's very, very popular in central Ohio. Um, it is a big deal for sure. Cool. Now, is this, I got to ask this, is this, it, it, Greg, do you get out and play golf at all? I do. Um, <laughs> so my normal family vacation is uh, in northern Michigan, and I'm usually fishing the uh, Torch Lake chain, the Antrim chain of lakes up there. Um, and one of the uncles that comes up from Cincinnati on my wife's side and the other uncle on my wife's side that lives up there. We usually golf a couple times a week there. I usually do like, um, you know, a thing at work. We have a, you know, a charity thing and then usually my family reunion. So I'd probably say all in all five times, six times, maybe a year. Okay. You're doing better than I am. <laughs> I haven't touched my golf clubs in like five years, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's let's cool. just put it this way. I get my um, money's worth on the course. <laughs> there you go. So, so being from, I mean, are you from that area or is that where yeah. you live? Okay. So I grew up in Mansfield, Ohio, um, which is almost, in between Cleveland and Columbus. And I grew up five minutes from Clear Fork Reservoir, which is how I got into muskie fishing. I grew up on that reservoir. Um, I was five minutes away and uh, had a neighbor that had a boat and just really started getting into muskie fishing. And that was back before we had rod holders. So we would hold the rods, you know, trolling across the humps and everything else. So um, but that's really how I got into muskie fishing was, you know, growing up so close to Clear Fork. What age, at what age did you start? Oh, for man, I'd probably say, oh, I'd probably say I was 12, 13. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I bass fished and my grandma, my grandma had a big three acre pond, caught huge bass in there from the time I was little, as far back as I can remember. Um but I've always enjoyed fishing. I, I grew up kind of in central Ohio. Uh, Clear Fork was really, really good for many years. Um, and it's kind of declined some now. So, um, but hopefully it's going to get back to what it used to be. All right. So, oh, go ahead, Ray. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, so you get started at that young of an age and you said you like you, you're out on a boat with, I guess your neighbor had a, had yep. a boat of that. And yep. was he into muskies or did, did oh, everyone yeah. just kind of like come into it? At nope. He, he was into muskies. Um, you know, we, back then we were doing, we were using like um, hellbenders 
for trolling. Uh, those were really popular back then. Um, mud bugs, you know, completely just different stuff now compared to then. But yeah, he got me started in it. And, you know, my dad and I always fished together. Um, you can see these pike. Uh, these are fiberglass replicas from Canada. You know, one of them was my dad's at 46 incher on the top. Oh, wow. That was 46 um, incher, man. Whew. Yeah, that was in Manitoba. And when he passed away, he get, you know, that one came to me. So, um, but uh, yeah, those were special trips uh, for sure. So, absolutely. So, how many? All right. So, going down the Canada route, is that something yeah. that you and your dad did? Uh, going as going back as a kid. Yep. We we um we started going. We probably went to Canada about twenty four or twenty five years. Couple breaks in there, a year or two. You know, we couldn't do it. Um, and you know, I guess the best thing, my last Canada trip with my dad was our best trip ever. And that was in 2013 and then 2014, I came down with an autoimmune problem while we were heading there for our next trip. So we couldn't oh, go. Geez. And then the following year, my dad had a lung transplant. So that was, so all I know is I remember in 2013, that was our best trip. And we were up in the Northwest Territories and um, we caught, um, I'm wanting to say, if I remember, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but we caught 55 pike, 41 inches or bigger in the boat that week. Um, and wow. several wow. hundred, 36 to 40s. It is truly just incredible. That that's a serious trip though. You know what I mean? Like that is a, I mean, how much travel time did it take to, to get there? Yeah. It's Columbus to Toronto, Toronto to Calgary or Edmonton, then two more hours North to Yellowknife, And then next morning, a 30 minute float plane, 90 miles to the South end of great slave Lake. Wow. It is just ridiculous. I was going to ask if that was a fly out or like a boat in. It, it, it's a fly out to a lodge. It's the only lodge on that gigantic lake in that part. It's the Tulson River flows into the southern end of, it flows north into the southern end of Great Slave. Wow. That's it's awesome. Just That's ridiculous. like bucket list type, type stuff yeah, right there. It is by far the best pike fishing I've ever done. I have fished over in the Netherlands and Europe for pike. Um, probably that was my heaviest pike that I've ever caught there. It was 44 inches. Um, but yeah, it's nothing. My friend, it's a guide over in the Netherlands. He actually came to the U S last year to musky fish at Lake of the woods. Um, and he actually was there with a guy from our club who goes up to Eagle Lake to guide. And they got to talk and they're like, do you know Greg Tim? It's like, oh, yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. I mean, how do you figure that out? Somebody from the Netherlands comes there and boom, you know? Right. That's, That's awesome. Musky world is, the musky world is surprisingly small, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Very, very, very small. Well, that's really cool because, I mean, that's that's a lot more – international experience than a lot of our previous guests yep. you know just we've had a couple we've had a couple uh, one you know that's that's fished over in europe yep. uh but man it really sounds like you've you've done some some traveling to fish so uh, i will 
preface this a little bit. So those trips, I combined those with my actual work at that time. I had a team that was in the Netherlands. And then it was actually cheaper for me to drive to the northern end of Holland, stay with him for the weekend and fly back on Sunday. It was cheaper for our company for me to do that. Oh, wow. So it, it, it was so cool. I mean, I have fished there in canals as wide as 30 feet and you're catching pike. I've also fished on humongous watershed, you know, just big basins of water. Um, it's very diverse. Um, there's Xanders over there, like our walleyes, but mm -hmm. they get up to 40 inches. <laughs> I mean, holy they are shit, massive. You ought to see these things. They're like walleyes on steroids. They're, it's just incredible. Um, but a funny story, um, since you guys are into stories. Absolutely. So when I went fishing with him, um, we rode bikes down into town to go to the bait shop the night before just to kind of poke around and stuff. And it, it's you're fishing in these canals and you're fishing, trolling through towns. You know, it's these little little villages. And so we launched one morning. This was probably my third or fourth time that I had fished with him. And all of a sudden he says, oh, be quiet. Don't say a word. Let me do all the talking. I'm like, oh, God, what? And there's this boat coming the other way. And he's like, it's the police. I didn't have a license. Ooh. And I told him the night before, I said, hey, how much is a license? Oh, no, no, no don't worry about it. I've never been stopped in 25 years. <laughs> Murphy's Law. <laughs> so we pull up and there's two guys in there and the Dutch, they're talking in Dutch. I have no idea what they're saying. And uh, so I asked the guy, I said, what's going on? He's like, well, your friend um, didn't get you a fishing license. So it's like, oh, okay. Luckily, long story short, he let us buy the license on site, no problems, and kept on going. But I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to the slammer, um, <laughs> you know, over pike fishing. And we didn't, we wouldn't keep any anyway. Right. Uh, but, oh, man, you talk about like, oh, gosh, in a foreign country. Whew. Jailed Locked abroad. Locked right. up abroad. Jailed pike. abroad. Pike, pike edition. But those were pretty cool trips. Um, you know, I've got some pictures, you know, with backgrounds of the old windmills, like in, in the background holding a fish. I mean, wow. it's, you know, it's That's pretty awesome. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how far do you travel for musky fishing now? I mean, do you go to destination spots or? No, no. I usually don't. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Pike fishing is my trophy. Pike fishing is my like passion if i could pike fish for trophy pike i would do it in a heartbeat just ohio just doesn't have any um you know i i fish northern michigan like i said on the torch lake chain up there every year now is that um, upper peninsula it's near traverse city so it's it's in the northern part of the southern peninsula of the, the south okay. of the mitten yeah yeah and so there's a chain of 11 lakes there so, um, and it's really cool. It's Caribbean blue, 
200 feet deep that connects to Lake Skagamog, which is dark tan with full of cabbage and 30 feet deep. It's so bizarre. It's you just go from one to the next. And um, actually, Will Schultz just did a presentation for our club last night on inland musky waters um, in Michigan. It was very it was a very good presentation for our club and uh, very informative. So there's what, lots of opportunities in Michigan. Which club are you affiliated with? So I, I am the president of Chapter 41, which is Central Ohio Chapter, Muskies, Inc. Um, so kind of in that Columbus area. Um, and then in Ohio, we've got, you know, Chapter 19, which is Akron, Canton. We got 23, which is up around Cleveland. Um, and then we have the Ohio Husky Muskie Club, which is That's what I was going to ask about. Is like, yeah, that's yep. kind of like this amorphous, you know, general Ohio thing. Correct. Correct. Hmm. But right. I just started the president role um, in January. So, and the, the first thing that somebody told me said, the first thing you need to do is find your replacement. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'm like, we, oh. <laughs> we, have, we have quite a president here in uh, chapter 16. Our, do you do karaoke? Oh, God, no. <laughs> there you go we could do like some kind of uh chapter, chapter challenge chapter we, do karaoke yeah. tournaments. Like, we do a chapter presidential karaoke tournament like a right. zoolander <laughs> we need to run this by our president real quick right? i'm pretty I sure feel, he'd be in i feel like he's down he's already he's ready to throw down with a mic at any point in time yeah, Greg, how you long? Be ready, buddy. Oh man, I'm I'm gonna have COVID that day probably. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been part of the club? Like, oh, act, I've like, been, you know, I've an active member. Like when do you get started? For, yeah. Oh, probably 15 years or so. There may be in a year or two in there that I I didn't join, but probably about 15 years. And OHMC probably about the same, about 15. It, and it sounds like a pretty active chapter. Yeah, so um, kind of what Ryan had mentioned, you know, part of the reason why my lures made the top 10 for Muskie's Inc., you need to look at the other two charts in there. Our chapter was the number one chapter in the nation with number of fish submitted. I think it was over 1,100. And then the top 10 lakes, which I was a little bit surprised at this. Um, the, Ohio had six of the top 10 lakes muskies inc too so it kind of all tied together you had a, the our chapter my lures and then six of the top 10 you know places and lakes in ohio were in that list so um pretty cool so, though to see i feel like ohio always has a, a really strong showing year to year they, they do um and a lot of that is because we have a really good stocking program um, we do a lot for our DNR. Uh, we raise a lot of money for the minnow fund. All of our fish are stocked. Um, we have essentially no natural reproduction. Um, Berlin, I think there was maybe some, but that's not even a stocked lake anymore. But so is all there of a our natural, fish are stocked. Is there a natural uh native population not not one that like is flourishing but yep. are they natural you know there are lakes here in pennsylvania that have that are natural yep. muskies you know they they're stocked now but they had natural muskies no everything what... was here everything here is stocked with the exception of like 
probably the, the tributaries off Lake Erie and things like that. There's definitely muskies in the rivers and yeah. um, that that are native. Okay. That's interesting because, uh, I mean, obviously, northwestern Pennsylvania, which is kind of a hotbed of yeah. small kettle lakes, uh, yep. you know, with natural muskies and, you know, just l- a little bit to the east or to the west. And uh, there's not not much is what I'm gathering. here. Well, and then you go a little further west to northeastern Indiana and you have a bunch of like glacier lakes with muskies. <laughs> I mean, and we were just kind of in the middle of nothing. It seemed like well, it's it's all it's it it amazes me how random that seems to be because you know I I grew up going to. I'm hearing you. The okay. dog was scratching at the door. <laughs> I got piano recitals. Got uh, dogs. Everything. So I I grew up like you went to Manitoba and on these hike trips like yep. my dad took me to the boundary waters in minnesota sure. because he was into canoeing and yep. and so but in the boundary waters there are no muskies like maybe in wow really oh none like you can i think there's maybe two or three lakes yep. that have them but for the most part no muskies throughout the entire boundary waters in quetico and then you have, but I did but not know it's, that. it's like buttressed by Lake of the Woods off right. to the west, and yep. then the whole sunset, um, whole sunset, sunset country, country yep. of of Ontario is yep. up to the north there. But there's this whole area that's yeah. all just pike, smallmouth, lake trout, nothing. That's so crazy. I did not know that. Um, I, I guess I did go one place specifically for muskie and that was in sioux lookout which is up in that area um north of international falls they had i think nine or eleven lakes that were muskie sanctuaries a lot of tigers we caught caught several tigers um actually one of the pike up there was that was my first 40 inch pike that i ever caught and that was up uh, on uh little vermilion lake i think is what the, the lake i caught it in Okay, cool. We've had uh, we've had a guest on from up there, Glenn from Fifty Four Bust. Uh, okay, he's he's up in that in that yeah. area. Cool. Larissa was up there for a work project, and then asked about muskies, and she was told that only Americans fish for muskies up there, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. That seems right. legit. That's legit. <laughs> <laughs> so we're All after right, the so... walleye. So do you guys want to start asking questions about the baits? Yeah. Yeah, we can get into some of that. I was going to I was going to ask like, you know, we're probably at that point. I was getting ready to ask like so all this fishing like are you are you planning on just fishing locally then, Greg? Like so without any bigger trips planned? I may get up to St. Clair. Um I you know, I haven't been there for a few years. Yeah, generally, we've got a really good stocked lake. It's 40 minutes from my house. I can sneak out of work, you know, at 4 o'clock, get down there and fish by 4.45, fish for two, three hours and come home, usually catch a couple. Um, but it's hard getting away and committing like weekend. You know, our, my daughter's 17. Um, while we've got stuff going on, it seems like. But um, but. You know, what really makes this thing worthwhile for me, it's not me catching the fish. It's hearing the stories about people. Like I just got one from a guy that uh, bought his first lure from me. Um, 
I think it was at the New York muskie show. And he took a picture of fish in a net on a four inch walking shed. Hey, my first muskie ever, you know, it's like, thanks a lot. Blah, blah, blah. That's what it's all about for me. Um, I love to fish. I just don't have enough time to fish. Um, but last year I did fish more than I ever had. So that's a, hopefully a good trend. I got to ask you this. I, uh, did you get a recent picture from one Daniel Lutton? There you go. <laughs> okay. All right. I just want to make sure. That was one of them. Okay. That was one yeah, of them. I think he caught that on a Goldie, if I remember right. He yeah. did. Damn I couldn't remember man. if it was Muskie Max or, or uh, New York, but yeah, Daniel sent me a note. He did. Okay. I was just going to say. Boy, Danny. I saw the picture the other day, and I was yep. like, I was like, that's an extreme. <laughs> yep, it was. That's correct. Should we talk about what Dan the Man dropped off at your house today, Ryan? What he delivered? We to don't you? have to. We don't have to. But I got to. Well, I, I just say, I'll just say, it's it's something that I've needed for the boat for a while, and I haven't decided. I decided I just it was low priority, and Dano dropped me off a good old fashioned pea bucket today. <laughs> Five gallon bucket. It's not a five it's gallon. Like, it's like it's a labeled. It's it's labeled very clearly. Ryan's boat pee bucket. I was Twice. super. I was super excited about this. Okay. It looked what like a, a five gallon bucket in that picture. I you should have like, heard what my dad. Shit. You, you should have heard what my dad said today. I was like, I was I was prepping him. I was like, we're gonna try to go out fishing this weekend. I was prepping him and he's like, are you going to like, if I have to go to the bat, cause I've never taken my dad out on the boat. Like this is, this has been uh, years since he's been out on a boat with me. And he's like, are, are you going to be able to take me back? If I got to go to the bathroom, I was like, no dad, I got a brand new pee bucket for you to break in. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not going to. I'm like, yeah, you right. rinse it in the water after that. Absolutely. You absolutely are doing this. Yep. What the heck? Yeah. Absolutely. That's oh, where you got a shit too. Yeah. yeah. No, we're not doing that. No, we ain't doing that. We're not getting hanging in on off that. the back of the boat. Right. I, I've. I, you know what? I'm not going to go there, but I've seen it done. It, it's happened. <laughs> I've heard I stories. To... I've heard stories. All right. Well, we're going to get back on track here. So, well, I was yeah, let's, say, let's boy, have we gone down a, circle a strange back path? Let's circle back around, Greg. <laughs> so, so all this fishing, pike fishing is your main thing. What the heck got you said to your, you know, what what got you say I'm going to build a bait or you know yeah. even get into this this whole thing? Yep. So, um, I had the tools in the basement, and one day I just woke up. I said I'm going to try to make a bait, and God, they were awful. They were bad. I mean, I have a tub that probably I should make a museum of like year by year. And you should. From from then to now, it's like, I don't even know, like night and day. I mean, um, but the funny thing was, is I went to, I can't remember where this meeting was, and Bill Crane was there. And I said, Mr. Crane, I'm trying to make a bait. If I send you one, would you be willing to give me some feedback on it? And he said, absolutely. And I never did, though. But just the fact that he was willing to do that was like, yeah. that was really cool. So, um, but yeah, I started I started making them out of wood, um, you know, out of cedar, tried different things, um, screw eyes originally, you know, now all my baits. All my crankbaits are solid PVC, um, through wire. Um, 
And I've done that for a few reasons. The solid PVC is very consistent. Water doesn't bother them. You get, I've got one guide here in Ohio that's got over 40 muskies on one of my four inch walking sheds and it's just got some scratches on it. I use two coats of epoxy. Um, they just really hold up well. All right, um, here we go. What kind of epoxy do you use? That is a trade secret. <laughs> no, I use uh, EX74. I've been using it for many years. I tried the Envirotex Light, and I could never get that to work well for me. So I went to the Envirotex EX74. It's got the UV inhibitor in it to help with ambering. Um, I've just found that to work much better for me. Um, I try to keep my epoxy room at about 70 degrees, you know, 40% or under humidity, and it seems to cure very well um, at that. I've tried other stuff. I know other people use Alumalite and True Coat and all this, and it works for them. Um, it That's really more of a personal personal choice. I've just had yeah, It really is. And that's what, that's what I'm learning. I mean, I've yeah. asked so many people that question, and so everybody has – a little bit of a different answer and and it's, yep. it amazes me because everyone finds something that works uh, works for them i mean right. i've tried to lumalite and i could not get it to cure i i we had two guests on in a row that that said that you know alumalite clearcast was the the way to go and i went out and bought it Absolutely. and i couldn't get it i couldn't get it to work but you know that's just I, me and i'm i'm not i think not the, the brightest thing, when it comes to that type of stuff well and my guess is like with EX74, I think it's a little more tolerant because I pour into separate cups and I eyeball it. And it's always worked for me. The only time that it doesn't work so swell is if I'm trying to do stuff in the summer when the humidity's higher and maybe in the basement it's it's still too humid. It just it's harder to get them to cure. That's why that humidity is really important, you know, to keep it under 50 is ideal but i like it to be 40 or under if i can and now do you put lighter coats or less coats on your smaller baits than your bigger baits because nope. of the weight that it can add no i put the way i do everything is i put one well obviously i prime it paint it then i do a, one coat of epoxy then i sign each one on a smooth surface on the top with the extreme the gear and the and the model and then i do a second coat Okay. Um, I have found, I mean, and Ryan can attest, I know he's used minis with success. Um, they hold up. People have told me, well, you could probably just get away with one coat. I said, yeah, I know, but my process has always been this. It works. I don't want to screw something up. Um, and I would rather my baits be more durable. Um, you know, and, and Ryan knows this. I've talked with Ryan about it. My goal is not to be a millionaire making baits or even a thousandaire um, making baits. Um, this is my fun hobby. I do it at a price that I feel is fair. Um, and you're getting a good bait at that price. Um, I love it. That's I, I just, yeah. I, and I've actually done my cost. I know how much the material cost is and I know how many I can do in an hour, roughly. Yeah. So I know what I'm making. It's. Yeah. See, I, I wanted to I wanted to welcome Greg to the illustrious list of of uh, people that Owen asked about epoxy. <laughs> I was trying to get to that earlier. This is like a big deal. Like we got you on the list now. Well, <laughs> I will tell you this. 
I had, and I'm not going to tell you which brand it was or whatever, but I had people messaging me from a different epoxy, you know, kind of a click or whatever you want to call it, basically saying I was lying, that I couldn't get the amount of uh, work time, pot time out of that epoxy. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. I said, I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try to, you know, oh, yeah, I'm getting, you know, three hours of, of epoxy time. No, it, it's about 50 minutes. So. Yeah. So th this is like the last part that you had brought up there, Greg, like we talked about this cost effectiveness, like. Yeah, that's that. That's honestly what kind of drew me to your stuff, like you know, and and really like getting the chance to meet you and talk to you at a show. Oh sure, you yeah. know, and see the stuff. But it, it's really it blows my mind because even like we can talk about some of your baits in the lineups too. But yeah, like, everything you're doing is like high quality, and I appreciate that. You know, it's like um, you know, I love the minis, but there's other things like I want to get yeah. into the the four inch walking shads and stuff yep. now. You know, Dano caught a fish on it, so naturally I got to yep, buy about right. fifteen of those. <laughs> but you know, it's like I feel, I feel like everything you're doing is just the construction is really good. These baits hold up, but there's such a good value there. You know, especially for guys trying to get into the sport because that's that's oh. one of the biggest things. The sure. intimidation factor of like. Oh my God! I got to spend yeah. ninety dollars on a musky lure. Like it you doesn't don't. have it doesn't have to be that way. Nope. You know, but. and you're absolutely right. And and I'll I'll be honest with you, Ryan. I mean, certain markets like Chicago, if they see a bait that's twenty five dollars, they there's a lot of people that say, "Oh, that's junk. It doesn't catch anything." Mm -hmm. So they move on. You fight that because there people are. So I think some of these people getting into the sport now, they think, oh, if it's not 80 or $90, it must not be any good. And it seems like a lot of the people I run into in Canada are, are that way yeah. too, have that mentality. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's so much of beginners of, of musk in musky fishing that get their start by just looking at stuff on Facebook. Sure. And there's all the, you join any of these Facebook groups and it's just all about, baits and prices and yep. you know you name it and it's not necessarily about okay what's the value what is right you know it, you you kind of have to listen to stuff like this podcast or you know it really other other resources to kind of find out as a beginner like or not even as a beginner like you know as, like you don't have to spend no. 75 dollars on a four inch bait or a no. six inch bait you know nope. it's like there are quality quality baits and the yeah. and the price is not necessarily reflective of the correct quality the, the other yep. thing is like there's so many basement builders now like sure. we see this here in pa all the time on our pa musky groups and everything else like these guys are building baits like we have one gentleman that started making baits like four months ago and now people are spending 80 90 dollars yeah. on one of his lures on facebook and it's like the no it's no offense to anybody but like there are guys that have been around doing this a lot longer and yep. their baits have been like, I haven't even seen any fish pictures on some of this stuff. You know what I mean? Look at, like, go in and look at crazy. the lunge log on some of these high dollar baits that you yeah. see. They're not even listed. <clears throat> yeah. And yeah, that doesn't mean their baits don't work. And believe me, 
the paint jobs on some of these that guys are doing are phenomenal. I mean, they're works of art. Right. But then the, there's the, the question is, is are they works of art that are catching the fishermen or catching the fish? <laughs> right. And, 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 and again, I, I mean, there's a market for that. You know, sure. there's a, there's a subset of the musky community that is going to pay that, and you can yep. see it because it's it hasn't gone away. Like no. this has been going on for years and years and years. So the it idea really that has. oh people are just going to stop paying top top dollar, no, they're going to keep doing it. But yep. you also have to have guys like I I think of you know you I think of like B and N. You know we've had them yeah. on like just yeah. reasonably priced baits that are quality yep. quality made baits at a very reasonable price. Yep. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because I didn't really think about that. Like if you're in yeah. a market that dictates like the average, say the average spend, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking about all these business terms right now, like ROI and everything else. Like, <laughs> like I'm literally, so you think about the the spend on, on an average spend on a muscular, and then you guys roll up in there with a bait that's $20, $30 under average spend. Like, how do you break through that? Because you're right. It's a culture thing. It's like a culture thing where you've got to you've got to figure out how to mitigate that. When I first started, Ryan, um, there were actually people trying to tell me that I needed to raise my prices, and I said, "That's my choice to sell them at that price." Um, and that was when I was first getting involved in making baits. So you got to get your name out there. You got to you know. And one of the things that I see is some of these new bait builders, they come to shows and they get really frustrated because they're trying to sell an unproven bait for $60, $70, $80, and they don't understand why people aren't buying them. And, you know, that, that's a challenge for people. Um, and, you know, honestly, I've probably only raised my prices maybe once or twice in 10 years. That's but crazy. what I've done is I've improved my processes every year. Mm. <laughs> like I'm cutting them out on CNCs now. So they're all consistent. You know, my erratic shads, my, my new bait here. I don't know if it'll show up very well in here, oh, but yeah, that is a foil white perch erratic shad. I can get 18 of these cut on one uh, piece of board that I put down on my CNC. I hit a button, let it go. And I still oh, have to cool. hand route four sides and you know i make the belly hooks and do the through wire and all, you know i cut all my lips on my cnc now so everything is done by me you know i don't have people painting and i don't have people you know doing this or that so if there's a problem with it you know it it's me so um look no further but you have to improve your process um you know even you know back to the epoxy owen I've looked at trying to find other epoxies that maybe have longer work times or, you know, cause if I can get four more baits at a time, you know, my, my lure turn, my dryer can do 60 baits. I can do 60 baits at a time. Holy shit. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of baits at a time. <laughs> but so what I usually do is I usually mix probably about three ounces of epoxy combined. Um, and I can usually get, depending on the size of the bait, you know, 20 to 35 of those in that little bit of epoxy. So I get half of my dryer done on one batch and then another batch 
So, you know, an hour and 10 minutes or so, I've got 60, 60 baits on there. Man, this is interesting because, like, but, yeah, they, you don't think about this stuff. I mean, um, yeah, no, no, this is the, this is the stuff you don't. Uh, if yeah. you're not building it, and, and if you're not building on that scale, you don't have to scale Correct. up like that. No, nope. you know. And then here's the other thing: when I first started, I started using those half-inch um, acid brush brushes that you see oh, yeah. in a thirty-six pack, so they're real small. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, now I use one-inch chip brushes. But I go through a whole process with those because I have to cut the bristles down and then I pull all the, the loose ones out. I mean, I go through a whole process of that. But I can actually brush the epoxy on much quicker now than using those small ones. Huh. Okay. So, again, that's a process improvement as a bait maker that you should be looking at doing. Um, every year I try to figure out, well, what can I do better? Um, right now there's to a point where, eh, you know, um, you get to a point where, okay, I'm not sure what else I can really do. Um, but it's a challenge, you know, it's something you always should be striving to get better, whether it's painting better, whether it's epoxying in a more efficient manner, um, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very interesting to just to, to think about the mindset of a bait builder mm-hmm. of a basement base bait builder, because as a basement bait builder, you have yep. to, you have to maximize every little opportunity. Uh, you have to maximize Absolutely. your time because you have a regular job on, you know, you have a real job. Yep. So that is correct. I, I, yeah. And you have kids. So I'm, I'm, yep. I'm the same way. You, fi- you have to find your bits and pieces of time that you can go down in the basement and do this. And the more effective you can be with that time, obviously yep. the better off you're going to be, which is something I'm always working for. And I'm just not. Absolutely. Very good at it. So no, what, it's, what, right. was, what was the first bait that you made? The first bait that I made was a four inch. Um, I just called it the extreme shad. And it was a square lip, and um, it was pretty popular. And then I started making the GT model, which is this guy, but it's now called the LT. When my dad passed away, his name was Lonnie. So when the first year that after he passed, I changed it to an LT to honor him with his initials gt was greg tim and so lt's lonnie tim so um yeah so but that excess uh shad was really great for people fishing creeks and shallower water um and it's funny because i just had a guy coming to ohio show this year and he brought one of my original ones in and he's like this is all torn up man can can you make any more i said well why don't i do this let me take these two home. I'll refinish them for you for free and I'll send them back to you. And he's like, Oh, that would be awesome. So, um, they're still going. So, um, but then the mini, the mini was like probably the Kickstarter. And I never, ever thought that little bait would take off like it has. I mean, it is, it's caught everything from crappie, 
Guys sent me lake trout pictures last year, kayakers catching 40-pound shovel heads, casting them. I mean, it's everything. That's Dude, pretty cool. That, But that's like, I think for a lot of guys getting into the sport, I tried to approach it this way, but I got away from it real quick because it's like real easy to just go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but like you talk about like for guys getting started to start looking at baits that are like crossover like what I consider a crossover multi-species bait because, yep, you know, that many, like you could, you could start with, you know, a handful of those baits and pretty much go out and do anything with them. Like you can, you can probably, I would imagine, you, you know, I've seen pictures of walleyes and stuff caught on oh, yeah. too. Like, like you could shortline those for walleyes. You could do so many different things with them. And I think that, I think that is one of those points where guys don't necessarily they jump right to the 60, 70, $80 yep. shad baits. And you kind of miss that, that yeah. gap because you can just use it for so many different things. It's like, Oh, I want to go bass fishing today. You get tired of not catching muskies and you just, you, you have them and you can go. And you know how many big bass you catch on a mini casting for muskie? Mm. A lot. <laughs> so, yeah. and I, Right after the New York Muskie show, guy came in, bought some minis, and he sent me pictures the very next day. He was, I don't know where he was fishing. Um, I don't know if it was a river in Pennsylvania or so. I don't know where it was, but he sent me these pictures. He, he got three or four really nice muskies, like mid-40s, and he showed pictures of the, of the mini and the net and everything, and he said, death pause, and I'm like, so you're twitching it and he's like, yep. And it's like a death pause. It just suspends. Yeah. It's like, dang. I'm like, I've never done that. I never thought of that, but you can bet I'm going to try it now. <laughs> so, well, that was, that was one of the things I noticed right off the bat. I mean, I got, I got that trolling fish pretty much right away. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was like on it, but you know, casting those things around at some of these other lakes that have pike in them. Yeah. I was absolutely blown away by that because like, that was one of the first things I noticed. I looked at my buddy Dan and I was like, look at this thing, dude. It just hangs there. Like you can yeah. rip them down and they just hang there. Yep. That's why I, I just absolutely, I just think going back to that whole, you know, crossover type bait. I mean, there's sure. just so much versatility there. You and know, I anytime think too, you the, yeah. And I think too, Ryan, um, the way they're built, people might look at that little bait and say, oh, those things aren't going to hold up. They do. I mean, they're through wired. They're, they're just built like all the rest of the baits. Um, 4X strong hooks. Um, they've just, they just really hold up well. Um, my original ones, there were issues. I only had 2X strong hooks. And people said, hey, do you have new, can you get heavier hooks on these? We've caught so many fish on them that when we're bending the hooks, they're breaking. <laughs> so I'm like, ah. So that was a clue that, okay, I better beef it up a little bit. So the first year or two, I had, you know, thinner wire hooks on there, and then I beefed them up, and then that problem was solved. What size wire do you goes through, is the through wire in the yeah. minis? Yeah, so all of my crankbaits use .0625, which... If you want to convert it, it's sixteenth of an inch stainless steel TIG wire. So I usually buy ten pounds of those, and they're three foot pieces. Um, I don't know how many's in there, but there's a bunch. 
Um, but it's 308L, so it's easier to bend. I mean, there's some like it's not like spring wire like for bucktails. It, it okay. it's not like that. It's um, it's much more malleable. Yeah, more pliable. Um, I mean, it's still it's not like a 304L, which is the annealed stuff that's really easy to bend. But 308L, it's a little bit harder. But I mean, you can easily do it with your hands. It's it's pretty easy. Okay, so, cool. That's so you're still fishing the wire through, like holes drilled through the bait? Yeah, so, and it's solid piece. I don't cut them in half. Right. So it's a challenge, um, and this <laughs> is back to the process piece. So I've tried different methods of through wire. I've created jigs on my drill press to where it's slightly angled, but the drill bit is going straight, so it starts at the tail end of the bait and gets close to where I need it to be. Then I go in with a hand drill from the front of the bait and I connect the hole. I'm not perfect. Yeah. The small baits are almost always perfect. So the minis, the three inch walking sheds, usually the fours, the LTs are good. The erratic sheds, I've had some problems with trying to get those, but I think I got them dialed in now. So, but it took me a while. That's um, one of those processes that just makes me nervous when I'm doing oh, it's, it. It's, when I've tried to make <laughs> Believe me, I've thought about it. I said, you know what? Maybe I should just do two halves, let the CNC cut the slots and everything, and I just form the wires and throw them in. But then you're dealing with baits that are split in half, and you got to glue them together, and it's like, I don't I would, really want to do that. Yeah, so, I would think with PVC you could get it bonded to – it oh it but it that's not the issue it's yeah. just the fact of having to do it line them back up yeah. yeah and when you're doing enough of them you know if I'm just doing you know five or ten it's easy enough just to clamp them down and and do it but if you're trying to do a bunch um, I could see where I'm not sure the time would outweigh you know because I can do the through wire um, I can literally put it on there do the through wire. Um, and probably per bait, 30 seconds or l probably less than that, yeah. I'll know if I connected it. So it's either at that point, I'm either throwing it in the trash bin <laughs> or it's going to the stack or it'll <laughs> go to the routing table. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that's one of those process things that I'm always looking. I tried a different method. And that worked for a little bit. And then it's like, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to go back to my other method. And right. now I've, I've kind of got it dialed in. And one of the things that, too, machinery, you got to check it every now and then. Sometimes your router table gets out of whack. Gets, mm -hmm. And then I'm like, why is there a little tiny indentation in the back of the bait? Because oh, the thing got out of level. I had to tighten one side to raise it up. And then it fixed that. But when you're doing stuff and you're trying to get stuff done in a short amount of time, it's some of those things slip your mind until you start seeing it. It's like, ah, now I know what that is. So that's one of those things I never, I always took for granted. Like when you're doing working in wood shop and like school and stuff, everything's yeah. all perfectly calibrated. Every, right. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. And okay. most of the time it is, but it's, it's just one of those things you got to from time to time, check it. Mm -hmm. so what is your favorite part about making lures 
Oof. Man. <laughs> I would probably say the painting. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because every year, um, this is one of the things that I do, and I'm sure you've noticed it, Ryan. You guys probably have if you've seen my baits. I do different colors each year. And even like, oh, let me pull like this white perch, that LT that's a white perch. If I had 10 white perches on a on the rack, probably every one of them is slightly different, whether it's eye color, the mesh size, crackle bars versus solid bars. And then you start working with transparent paints to give it different looks. I did that on my perch patterns this year. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Paint the gold scales, then a light green transparent over it. It brings those scales out. So it's just a process. I, I really like the painting. And gosh, if you could see the ones that when I started to now, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> Well, I wouldn't sell a bait now if I was painting like I did when I started. Nobody would buy them. I will <laughs> say. It'd be a cool montage to transition yeah, right. through them all. Right. Year I will say it is very cool walking up to your booth and seeing, like, just for example, like six perch patterns, but they're all different. Like, they're yeah. all different. There's different yeah. eyes. It's like, it's and it's like that for every color you do, too. Like, yeah. even, you know, that's what I was laughing. I, I, I said this on one of the podcasts a couple weeks ago. I got that chartreuse crappy mini off of you at max, yep. but I had, I actually bought that color in Ohio, right. but they're both different. They're right. Like, they're both different and it's great. Yep. I love it. You know, yep. it's like, it's awesome. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but the people like that, I, I get, I get people that will sort back through and say, oh, I like that one because the bars are brighter or they're thicker or, you know, whatever. Um, the other thing that does is it keeps them in your booth a little bit longer because they're always looking for, oh, this one looks, oh, wait a minute. I didn't see that one. <laughs> Thinking through the process booth That's side it. now, are we? <laughs> hey, you got to do that, you yeah. know, but, but one of the things too, and, and Ryan, I'd like to know from you because you go, you get to go around to all of the booths and see, you know, I don't get to do that as a vendor. I mean, Sundays, usually I'll meander around. But one of the things that I'd like to really try to do is when somebody comes into my booth, first off, you greet them. You say, do you know anything about my baits? And if they say no, I walk them through. Here's how they're made. You know, two coats of epoxy, there's a rattle in them, you know, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that really seems to help them understand whether they buy anything or not. Then they go around to other vendors. I don't know what the other vendors tell them if they engage that way or not. Um, I really try to do that because I think it's important, especially for people that don't know anything about your baits and you're trying to sell it to them. Um, so. That always seems to be something that I enjoy doing, interacting with the customers and, you know, kind of making sure they understand what the baits are and how they work and, and all of that. I feel like we should, I, I wish it was, it was possible to give every exhibitor at Muskie Max a disc assessment. If anybody right. knows, yep. if anybody yep. knows what a disc assessment I do. is. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so the disc assessment, okay. This is another business thing. Yep. 
I will tell you from a customer, because even though I'm in IT, it's heavily, it's, it's sure. real heavy on the customer service side, right? Yep, for sure. Well, the disk assessment is basically a test or an assessment you can take that will tell you what personality type you are yep. on a series of questions. And I feel to your point though, like I, my general experience is guys don't do that. Guys don't, they don't talk to people and give them the full run through of what their baits do, yeah. how they're made, what they're, you know, like a lot of times you'll walk into a booth and it's like, Hey, Hey, and then you right. just like, you look at the bait and that's it. But I think a lot of that has to do with going back to the personality type, because Agreed. you know, if you're, if you're a certain type, you know, on that matrix or on that pie chart, like yep. you're just, that's not something you do and not something you think about. You're just, you know, you've, you've gone through the process, the creativity aspect to build your products and, and bring them, put them on display. But if you don't have that personality type, you're not going to yeah. be able to do that. And I think that's why guys need to get helpers in that situation. I agree. To have that personality type that will be willing to talk and, you know, and kind of have those conversations. But yep. No, I agree. It's funny, man. I, I just from my general experience and what I deal with day to day, I manage a lot. I mean, most of my job is managing per, you know, personalities yep. and escalations and stuff. And I always have my eye on that. I'm like constantly analyzing people at booths <laughs> and things like that. Right. I can, I can pretty much tell you what they are personality wise, but <laughs> it's wild stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's goofy. <laughs> so what, what else do we got here for Greg? I, I want to know, like, give us a little rundown of exactly how, like, what are, what is the bait lineup that you have? Like, yeah. how, what, so, what's the smallest, yeah, and, what's the biggest? And yep. how do I buy them? Yeah. Where, where do we find where them? Where can I order? Okay. I'm trying to put my mini order in right now, but I wasn't sure where to do Ooh, it. Oh, that's going to, that might be a tough one, Swinky. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> oh, dear. So, uh, the minis are the smallest baits that I have. Um, I actually don't have any of them even to show you right now. Um, but the three inch walking shad would be the next bait. And it's kind of more of a panfish um, style. Great walking action has won several tournaments, um, you know, in Ohio. Then you've got the four inch walking shads. These guys have caught I think the last I heard was four or five 50 plus in Ohio in the last two years. Wow. Those have been really good. Then you go to the LT, which I showed you a little bit ago. That is a round lip, more of a tighter, and then a little kick. And that one will troll down to about 15 feet or so, but you can cast that. This is a great spring casting bait over emerging weeds in that six to eight foot range. These are really, really good. Like in Ohio, like on Piedmont, if you've heard of Piedmont, that's a great one. Um, the TS Never model. Never heard of it. The TS model is a, is a little bit bigger bait, uh, square lip, Ooh. harder thumping bait. Um, that's in an evil perch pattern right there. Um, this one will run about uh, 14, 15 feet down. This one has got a 50 out of Chautauqua and a 50 out of Piedmont on it in the last couple years. And then my new bait, the erratic shad, um, this guy kind of looks like a giant hot and tot. The action is incredible. Side to side, 
Um, 30 feet back gets you down about eight feet. So it's got a little bit steeper dive curve. And then the other thing that I do, I don't know if it's going to show up real well, but I do a depth chart for all my baits and I hand wow. those out to customers because inevitably the very first question that somebody comes into the booth that says, how far, how deep do these run? So I actually, in the shows this year, I put actually in my booth, a big foam board of that card, but this is a handy tool to get you in the, in the area. Um, hey, how much line out, Greg? Yep, exactly. <laughs> So that's got all the info on there. Now, back to your question about how do you order. Um, I cut orders off for the year on March 6th. However. I like, okay, there's a however. Some, I'll yeah. do something for <laughs> So you. you're telling me there's a chance. There's a, I'm telling you there's a chance. You got to meet Greg <laughs> on, the, on the ninth green ninth at 9 green at p.m. Nine. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this because I went hard on the minis on purpose. <laughs> Knowing Swinky wasn't going hard. I have one. I do have one. I got more. I got enough for both of us right now. I'd like to get a few more. (laughs) One's not going to cut it. Just reach out to me, Donnie. I'll I'll hook you up. All right. Do me a favor and just get that color right there. Oh, yeah. That's the. You got to get that color. Yep. I like that one. That's the not not named after for any specific reason. No, not at all. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> the Pima. Oh wow! I, okay. I got a tip from somebody on that on that color, and so I started painting them. So that's like, a good tip. <laughs> but the um, yeah, the the minis have been fantastic for everything, all the species. So casting or trolling. Now, here's the question, uh, Greg, yep. when you're trolling those minis, those small baits, like yep. what are you running in terms of leaders and, yeah, and things great like question. that? Do you downsize your leaders? Yes, absolutely. Um, what I would recommend, um, you know, I, you can run a hundred pound fluorocarbon with them, but the action's going to get a little bit um, deadened. Um, so I would run either a steel leader like 50. I know some guys run 30. 30 gives me the weebie-jeebies a little bit because, God, I, you know, hitting a stump or some, it just, you never know. Um, so I'd say that 50 or 60 pound is probably really good. And I usually use 12-inch, um, 12-inch leaders. I know some people run like three-foot fluorocarbon leaders on some of the, I don't do that. Um, I just, I prefer to just run about 12-inch. So you yes. run, you're running strictly steel, though? No, I do fluoro, too. Um, I, I will run fluorocarbon uh, trolling as well. Um, and then on my glide baits, um, I use solid steel, you know, solid uh, leaders right. on those. It just gives it a little bit better action. What's the oh. what's the glide bait um, lineup? I, I didn't know you made that. Um, no, I didn't so want to so yeah. I'll run out to the garage to get one. Uh, so, Josh has like a couple. Feet. I know. Josh has Let's caught a couple it. fish on on yeah. some extreme glide baits. Yeah, yeah, I know he has a couple. He's picked up so at the shows the last couple of years. Yeah, I've got a six inch glide bait with tail um, that has been really 
really good. Um, very easy to work. They're about 2.7 ounces. Short twitches or people like to do the reel real quick and it just glides back and forth, you know, walking the dog under the water. Um, and then I do make an eight inch version. Um, I didn't make any this year for the shows. Um, I think I only made gliders for Muskie Max this year. Um, that's the other thing. Each show, I don't always do all of the all of the models at each show each year. Sometimes I take something off and bring something back. I've got some six inch and eight inch walking shads. I just didn't do any of this year. Uh, the big baits just don't sell as much. Minnesota and Michigan buy them, but PA, Ohio, they like the smaller stuff, the four or five inchers. Um, that's the kind of the bread and butter. See, that's also another interesting piece there because, you know, like we talked about that culture thing, like, say you go to one show and they look at the pricing, but like every show is different based on, you know, models that you're making yep. too. Go ahead, Swinky. Yeah. My question is, because uh, we hear this a lot, you know, uh, Baker, Boss Paul, everybody yep. kind of says the same thing with the small baits around here being the dominant sellers and everything. But I've also heard most of the bait makers say that they're, they build baits for specific purposes. So I'm assuming you're the same yep. way yep. you live in central Ohio. Yep. You're making this big bait or larger bait for a reason, right? So you are fishing these baits locally yep. and I'm assuming having success on them as a bait builder. Yep. Absolutely. Um, usually the bigger baits, you know, tend to be more fall um, fall time frame. Um, when I came out with the eight inch walking shads, sent a couple to friends of mine. They went to green Bay. He got three over 50, I think within a couple of days, one was like a 54. Um, and they were phenomenal. Um, they're a pain to make, um, back to Nick, when we were talking about the through wire, you think about an eight inch bait trying to go through a drill press that's three thirty seconds inch in diameter without wandering. <laughs> it's, it's probably it's probably got <laughs> is it still only a two hook or is it got three hooks it's, to it? It's a two hook. Okay. Uh seven odd. Okay. Two seven otters. Oh um, boy. And what's the uh what's the price point on those bigger baits? Like the eight you said eight inch walking shad? Yeah, the eight inch walking shads are thirty five. Oh wow. Oh yeah, I and again, it's I, I my whole motto has always been I want this to be affordable for everybody. Um I like I said, if I was trying to make a living doing this, it might be different, but I don't. Um this is my fun stuff that I do, vacations and boat stuff and you know that kind of thing. So, um you know, kids always get a discount when they come. Um, I'll be honest with you. I did three shows this year. Most kids I have seen in any combined year was this year. I gave out close to a hundred kids shirts and I was out in every show. No kidding. Yep. I did about 35 a show and they were gone on, on the first days. I will, That's I will good. say, That's I will cool. say that Deanna, my wife, Deanna was totally blown away by that in Ohio. 
Like yeah. she, like I didn't tell her, like I, I heard, you know, I did some of your lives and stuff and she was like, Greg was giving out t-shirts to kids. Like on the way mm-hmm. home, she just brought it up and was totally blown away. Yeah. by that. That's such a cool thing. Well, you know, think about it. You got young kids there with mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, whomever. They probably don't necessarily want to be there. Um, they get something that puts a smile on their face. Um, even, even Paul <laughs> from Boss Shed, Paul Forstero, he's like, my God, all these kids running around with these extreme shirts. It's like, <laughs> are you selling all of those? <laughs> and I said, no, I give those out to kids. He's like, my God, they're everywhere. <laughs> it really is. That's awesome because the kids, the, to see their, their faces light up, to be given, That's, whether yep. it's, you know, I'm not giving away T-shirts, but, you know, stickers and, yep. you know, just I give kids little, you know, painted blades. Yep. If they want one, I said, go ahead and take them. And the smile on their face when they have yep. that in their hand, it's like, man, it's that, awesome. that, hopefully that's a core moment for them. It, it, core it memory. Absolutely. I'll tell you a little story. And this I, this one has always stuck with me. A couple of years ago at the Ohio show, I had a... Um, grandfather and his grandson come up to my booth. He was probably maybe 10. And um, so he was looking and, and I said, Hey, go ahead and pick out a bait. You can have one for free. And he looked at me. And so he picked the bait out and grandpa was there. And um, he said, well, we just got here. We'll be back. Now, if you've done shows before, you always say, oh, we'll be back. Yeah, okay. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Okay, it, it's fine. So about two hours later, here comes the boy and the grandfather. And the grandfather says, Greg, I, I told my grandson, I forget what his name was. I said, you've got enough money to get one more lure. Where do you want to go? And he said, I want to go back to Greg's booth. So he came back. He bought a lure, of course, at a discounted rate, but then the grandfather bought six. Now, I really believe that a kind gesture like that turns into more. 1,000%. And a lot of people do not understand that. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. My wife and I tell tell, tell each other this all the time. Whenever one of us has an opportunity to do something generous, like it, it literally pays itself back. And nobody thinks about it because Correct. you're so worried about like the, you know, that the next dollar, it's like, you've got to forget yep. about that stuff. And, and, and your attitude towards this, I'm so impressed by it because it's, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I, and again, part of that I'm sure comes from, I'm sure you have a, a good job that I do, you know what I mean? 100%. Like, so, so there's, there's a, there's yes. an ability to be comfortable Yep. And give things away when you feel like you, you don't have to like, you know, scrounge for every penny out of this business. You know what I mean? Which is hard. It's a hard business. If you really want to make, make, you know, every penny out of this business, it's not easy. Yep. Absolutely. And and you're you're, right. Your attitude towards this is just amazing. And I'm really, really impressed by it. Thanks. Yeah. I, I just grew up that way with my dad and, you know, and he, he would always do things for kids. And I think it's important. I mean, the way kids are now, you know, it's like, man, if we can get them into fishing and stay off streets and trouble and, you know, have them have good experiences for them, um, you know, all the better. 
but I appreciate Absolutely. those comments. That's nice. Yeah, I mean, that's I will. I mean, we'll, all of us probably feels this way too. But like, I, I mean, that was one of the other reasons why I was so drawn to some of these. You know, with the minis, just having that conversation with you up in New York. Yeah, and you know, like we we want to as fishermen we want to be able to so because there's a lot of baits on the market a lot of baits catch fish but like we want to be able to support guys like you you know that are doing things like that and it 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 makes it almost like for me that's where you know you have limited amounts of money and stuff to spend at shows but like that's where i want to spend is with guys that you know do that sort of thing and and guys that hold themselves a little bit higher than you know, on the, just from the standpoint of, you know, doing, I don't want to say the right thing, but doing the right thing and right. handling things the right way and being good with people and taking care of your customers and things like that. I mean, that's all, that's why I've been drawn to extreme. You know, that's why I want to look yep. at some of these other baits. And a lot of that's because of you, Greg, and how you conduct yourself. So well, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, again, I think, I think customer service, customer engagement is very, very important. You have to differentiate yourself and your product from somebody else. Um, and it can't always just be on price. You know, it's um, and I think that's I think that's a challenge for some. Um, but I've always just believed in treat your customers well. Um, if they have a problem with something, I take care of it. Um, I've taken care of stuff that I know for a fact was not a manufacturer defect, <laughs> like somebody throwing and hitting the bait on a rock and it cracked. This you know, is junk. Yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. Cracked, right? When I cast we'll it off that thing. dam. Sometimes right. it takes that technical bank shot off the bridge abutment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's I've just seen, a durability test, Greg. I've <laughs> seen I've seen that Fiesler move a couple of times. <laughs> I've seen I've seen quite a few steelhead caught that way. Works till the lip falls off, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna the, put the, these extremes in a test here today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Throw them off of banks. I know no. I know we got we want to get into some tuning too. Oh yeah. Because yeah. you know that's uh that's another, you know, kind of hot button item. And we talked a little bit uh about the tuning with with Paul on uh, one of the last podcasts we had but yep. you know that's one of those things man that new anglers guys getting into the sport like I can tell you right now like I I still I still struggle with tuning yep and I think one of the things we want to talk about there is that little tool you showed us before absolutely we can get into that too but yeah I, I just want I didn't I want to make sure we had enough time to fit it in oh yeah and I'm not on any time restrictions, so we can go as long as you guys need to. So it's no big deal. Oh, oh you um, can't tell us that, buddy. Well, yeah. I mean, re- within reason, I guess. <laughs> Six hours later. <laughs> I mean, you're just lucky like the Cavaliers aren't playing a playoff game tonight because I probably would have said, no, I got to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so when it comes to tuning baits, if you've got a bait that's running um, – you know, one side out to the right or into the left, whichever way you're looking at it, there's a multitude of factors. Um, one of the things with walking baits, you have to be very careful and conscious of. You're probably not going to be able to run them in the prop wash or near the prop wash because they're already moving back and forth. And that turbulence is going to probably throw them completely um, out of out of whack, out of tune. Um, so that's one thing to consider. The other thing to consider is 
how high do you have your rod in the rod holder in relation to the water? Do you have the rod tip up high? Do you have it close to the, you know, down close to the water? Do you have it in the water, like on a down rod? Those all have different um, reactions. The bait will have different reactions based upon that as well. Um, and then obviously the shorter line that you have out and the speed that you're running. Um, and let's be honest, not every bait can be run at five miles an hour or even four and a half. If they're really walking back and forth, now probably the oddball in my bait lineup is that erratic shad. That erratic shad will move from three, two to four, five. And when you go over four, five, it just straightens out. It doesn't blow out. It just straightens out, which is a little odd, um, you know, but so if you've got a bait that's running, let's just say for this sake, I know this probably is going to be hard, but if your bait is running off to the right, what you would do, this is a lure tuner that one of our guys in our club makes at central Ohio. And if anybody's interested, I can get the info, but basically what you do is let me get the right end. You basically put that right on top of that line tie. And if it was going to the right, you want to barely just bend that to the left, almost like pressure. One of the co most common mistakes is people will bend that or take split ring or uh, uh, needle nose pliers and bend it too far the other way. And now it's running not to the right, it's running out to the left. So it's very, very, very minute changes, almost like pressure. You're not even really moving. It's just a tiny bit of pressure. That will help a lot of your tuning out. Um, it's a very, very common um, common challenge. Um, now, the minis, for the most part, I would say, Ryan, and you can chime in, you've got them. Those, I very seldom ever have to tune. Every now and then there's a goofy one that just acts weird, but they're usually pretty solid. Um, the three inch and the four inch walking shads, yeah, they're moving. So you might have to just barely touch and tune those a little bit. Looks like you're ready to say something, Ryan. No, I was I was gonna say I only have had to tune after catching a fish. Okay. And, and that's that, somewhat common. And that but like looking at this, where I struggle, like on on the mini, which I'm holding up, nobody can yep. see that is this is where I struggle is typically okay. with through wire baits and where you've got that, you know, you've got the, yep. essentially the attachment there, like on in the bill. Cause like a lot of times, like with the screw eye baits, sure. What, I, what I've found too, even more recently, like instead of bending it back and forth, um, I started turning them, you know, like just yeah. maybe like a little bit of a turn, instead of trying to bend that and that's that's worked out a lot better for me like tuning wise but yep. that tool that you're talking about here yep that would for me that would probably change the game because it's easy to use i'm the guy that's like always too much with the pliers yeah I it's know. how do we it's very how do we paypal you for five of those <laughs> like, <you> just, like <laughs> well, i already I, have i'll one. hook you guys okay, up I'll take four, another four, 
four of them. No, I'll take two because I'm going to end up dropping it over the dropping side of the one boat. at the bottom of the river. Yeah, we we got we got an order for those for sure. We get, get you an order for those. Yeah, no, I can definitely get you some uh, sent to you guys for that. That's not a problem. Um, so the one thing I did want to mention, especially with epoxy baits, when you're torquing that, what I always do is I have my thumb on the opposite side of that lip to kind of support it if I'm pulling it this way, because you can actually torque that and you can hear the epoxy maybe crack or so you got to be careful Been there. <laughs> yes. So that's what I'm saying. It, it's a common thing. It's, it's not, it's not unusual. Um, but it, I test tune, test tank tune all my small baits. I got a six foot thing in the basement. It's pretty good, pretty accurate. I can tell if it looks like it's going to blow out. The minis are easy. I I'm almost to the point now. I don't, I don't even test those anymore because they're just 98% probably they're fine right out of the box unless I screwed up getting the line tie or getting the lip in a little bit off center or something. But um, the bigger baits, obviously you can't, it's hard to tune. You, you can't, you can't tune in a six foot tank with a big bait um, moving at six feet. It's just, you're not going to get good results. Yeah, so I mean that's definitely, you know, the other the other thing I have with some of the through wire, like you talk about the the uh, I don't know, I always call it the toe point, but like, yep, that underwire, the wire that's under the bill. <laughs> yep. Do you ever have to pull that down at all? So that's a good question, Ryan. So the, if if the baits are super wild like some of my four inch walking sheds and like 18 and 19 were really, I mean, they were really wild. Um, some people were having to push some of the wire down. I've gotten to the point now where I think I've tamed them down just to the right amount to where you shouldn't have to do that. And those line tie heights are very consistent now because I use the same drill bit, whatever you want to call it to basically make sure it's the same height on every one. And obviously cutting them out on CNC's now, I don't have that possible, oh, well, the lip slot's a little bit off or, you know, it went too far in. Cause I was cut, I was doing those on um, a table saw jig one at a time. And so if I had my table saw set up just slightly too high, the lip slot would be a little bit deeper or if it wasn't high enough. So now the CNC cuts those perfect every time. So, um, so a lot of the consistency is there now just because of how I'm cutting them and, and doing that now. How long does the, does it take for the, you said the CNC can cut out like 18 baits at a time on the erratic sheds in a 32 inch board. Um, at, five and a half inch wide so it's it's about 32 inch by five and a half i get 18 out of that and it cuts them out in about 17 and a half minutes oh wow but i've got wow i bought a big not a desktop cnc that's what i had been using the, that thing was a game changer oh wow um, 
So it is phenomenal. Um, much so it faster. Does, now it does I still like the have full to route the four and sides and do the through wire and drill the belly hook and all that. But from a 2D contour cut, it does that, the lip slot, and then the hole where I recess the eyes all the way through the small hole. Okay. Now so we've, can we've it talked cut in the, the past... full thickness in one pass? No, no. Okay. So typically on all my baits except the LTs and my six inch twitch minnows, they're three quarter inch wide or about 19 and a half millimeters. Um, so I usually am running about two and a half to three millimeters per pass. So when you break it down like that, I can do about one of those baits in about a minute. Now, prior to that, the way I would do this is I would take blocks of PVC, I'd drill the through wire, then I'd take a template where I know it went in and where it comes out, and I'd adjust the template, then trace it, rough cut it on a, on a uh, bandsaw, then go to my sander and sand it down to the trace line. So all of that has been oh, allowed. That's why back to the process thing, you've got to look for, yes, it cost me a lot of money to buy that CNC, but it saved me a lot of time and allowed me to keep my prices the same. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Now, when you have to take the CNC cut 2d, you know, basic mold or, you know, basic, you know, yeah. Do you have a special jig that you use for your router? Because we've talked about this in the past, nope. how dangerous how dangerous that can be, especially with minis. And we've mid, had yes. a prior guest on. I know I had I in the past I had said that it was Ryan Painter that sent me a, a video that showed his little jig, but no, it yep. was actually Andrew I from Spray Bomb Baits. And he has yep. this cool little thing that you know, just basically <clears throat> saves your fingers, you know, and you don't have to yep. worry about the potential of that router going because we've already heard stories about Todd Lee, a party and, you know, yep. he, he, him having an issue. So what do you do with that? Those so here's small what baits. I'll tell you, I don't use a jig. I use my fingers. The minis, I slow down. But the other thing is, is the PVC is much, it, it cuts more like butter than like wood where you have different grains and you got knots. Like I would never do a mini out of wood. I would be afraid because it just, it just catches. I mean, even so, my six inch gliders that I do on hardwood. I mean, I'm, I'm pushing down on those things and I'm, yeah. I'm being really, really careful because you could, it can catch. Um, but the minis, the first three sides of the minis are fine. It's when you go to the last, the fourth side, because it's rounded on the other three, that's when it can get a little, so I just have to be really careful. But no, I I, I do them by hand. Cool. So far, like so good. The PVC, <laughs> you don't have to deal with the end grain at all. Knock on wood. That. Yeah, right. Knock on PVC. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Wood's dangerous. 
Well, I mean, that's the that is the reoccurring theme, though. Like that's what everybody that does those little wooden yeah. ones. They always talk about the knots, and you know, like yep. The crazy part about some of that too is like you know, you say a piece of wood blows up, you mm-hmm. you don't even like just talking going back to the toddly a party thing. Like he didn't even know what happened. Like it didn't even no. register what happened. Yep. Like he went to pick up the piece of wood and he started working on another bait and then realized his hand was all, you know, destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. That's yikes. Yeah. That's the crazy part about that. And every time, every time we talk about it, dude, I cringe. I'm just like, oh, that's one of those things where, and I know what, I know what you're saying and what Todd was doing. You get into a rhythm. So what I usually do on my router table, I'll have a stack of like 25 baits sitting there and I'll just start zipping through. And then I got a tub on the other side and drop it in and I go to the next one. And like on an erratic shad or a TS, even the walking shads, they're big enough to where it's not a big deal. When I get to those minis, though, I'm I'm way, way more focused. Not that I'm not focused on the others, but those minis, you really gotta, you gotta pay attention. I want to go back to the tuning part of this too. Cause I got one other question. I've noticed yeah. this. I've noticed this. I don't want to say on what other baits I've noticed it on because we kind of found this little, this little trick to okay. essentially make a lure, you know, that doesn't necessarily walk, start to walk. Sure. Yep. You know, there's different things you can do obviously, Absolutely. but like, my question is like on the mini, I'm, I'm holding this up again. Yep. You, you have the gap between the nose of the bait. Sure. And the toe point. Yep. <clears throat> and looking at that, you know, and I'm just out of, just out of curiosity. I would never do this on, on these baits because I like, I like the way they run. I don't want to mess right. them up and then have to right, say, right. Greg, I need help. This isn't running. But like that toe point, if that was, so the further away yep. I've noticed on some baits, that's when I start seeing baits walk. It, I, I will tell you this, you're not wrong, but I've got a friend who's in Michigan that is an awesome fisherman and he has seen it just like I have. I have moved toe points closer to the body and it did completely the opposite of what we thought it would do. Yeah. I, every bait is a little bit different. It's so crazy how that how it that really be. it really is. Um, I but one of the thing that's really cool um, that I wanted to tell you guys that again this goes back to the process stuff. I know I'm hitting on this a lot, but using PVC, I can design a lure, have it cut. And within 30 minutes, I'm testing it in the water. I can prototype something that fast because I don't need to seal it to throw it in water. Right. With the PVC, it's already water resistant. Exactly. And I tell you what, that is the coolest thing. And then obviously with me cutting the Lexan lips on the, on the CNC, I can easily go in there and move the line tie holes to wherever I want to see what different actions that gives it and so forth. So again, those are things that I've just learned, Hey man, I can do these a lot quicker now. And 
you know, it helps you get a prototype faster. Like I've got a couple, couple things I'm working on now for next year's shows um, that I think are going to be really good. Um, so, but it would be hard to do that unless you were full-time doing this and that's all you did. Um, so this is another thing that really helps me being able to get something done and prototype much quicker uh, and tested. So I think that's really a cool thing. Are you uh are you taking prototype ideas? I'm always sure. <laughs> I don't have I don't have anything for you because I suck at fishing in general. But I'm just asking, you know. Swinky Swinky might have something he's been thinking about. I don't know. You you guys can always hey if you got an idea, I'm, you know, always up for a challenge for something. I mean, I've had some crazy crazy requests <laughs> and i'm like I'm, all no, I want it's not gonna work <laughs> all i want's a bait that only catches 45 inch and bigger right well that probably in the tough. shape of a fish of some yeah. sort <laughs> we get into the 15 16 17 inches right <laughs> <laughs> i can do those on my own yeah <laughs> You've got those down, huh? Yep. <laughs> All right. So, what else do we have here? I don't know. I mean, I'm. What's give it? Give us a couple stories. Like, uh, tell us a little bit about what's the biggest fish you've caught yep. on one of your baits, and yep. then give us the biggest fish caught on one of your baits that you're aware of. The biggest that I know that has been caught on my bait is fifty-four and a half. Um, that was on Green Bay on an eight inch walking shed. My biggest fish that I've caught is 50 and a half. Um, and that was on St. Clair. And that was caught on one of my LTs, which back then would have been a GT. Um, and then, oh, got to tell you this story because this is a fresh one from last year. So, customer of mine has been buying baits from me for, I don't know, four or five years. He lives about 20 minutes from my house. And um, he sends me a message. He said, hey, I took my brother-in-law out finally. He caught his first muskie today. I was like, sweet. Then he sends me a picture of the tail on the bump board. And I'm like, come on. He's like, no. His first muskie ever was 50 and a half, casting nice. a four-inch walking shed. So well, I wanted to ask you, like, how much do you get people casting versus yeah, trolling? So I would say our chapter is a lot of trollers. Our reservoirs are full of shad, so a lot of, you know, we have some casting. I would say the minis are probably split 50-50. I'd say the three inch and four inch are probably 80% trolling, 20% casting. The LTs, I would say, are probably 60 trolling, 40 casting. TS are probably almost all trolling. Um the erratic shads, obviously, they're just out now, but 
I really think those things are going to work awesome casting over deeper structure because they're going to get down, even casting, they're going to walk back and forth. Um, you can reel them slow. We've got a lake here in Ohio. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Leesville, um, but those fish, fit, a lot of people use sisson lures and they're, and they troll at like 2.8, really slow and they're conditioned to that. Those things are going to do well there um, for sure. Um, and then obviously the eight inch and the six inch walking shads are all trolling. Nobody's throwing those. But that that's a great question. I don't get that very often, but well, I was I you know, when I when I would go to fish in the boundary waters, shad the uh the shad wrap that yep. was what is it, the 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 nine or the set there was a five, seven, and nines. Yep. In eight. the, the eight. eight was it an eight? Whatever it was, it was the biggest size shad wrap that you could buy at Dick's Sporting Goods. You know what I mean? Right. Like it was, it was not anything fancy. But me and my dad would go and buy as many of those damn things as we possibly could because you could catch <laughs> anything on it. I mean, in Canada, you could you you cast that thing out. You're 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 just as there's good, yep. just as good a chance as catching a, a big smallie as there is a walleye to a, a decent pike. You know, so yep. it really is a a, a catch all type of bait so is that how people fish those because i would like to to, yeah. to to try that i i i can tell you too another story my friend elmer Hyab, a retired fisheries biologist he's got the biggest fish on the mini that i'm aware of and he was trolling salt fork in the spring and he got a 49 and three quarter and he was trolling that down 10 feet in um a creek channel and you know and i but a lot of people catch them casting. I think it's just the different times of the year. Um, structure, if you're fishing, you know, emerging weeds, those things are great over top of weeds. Um, but, yeah, I mean, people fish those things all different ways. Um, and it seems a lot of it's confidence, what you have confidence in doing. Um, some people, you know, they'll take a bait and they'll rip it as fast as they can and they catch fish that way. I don't have luck doing that. I don't know why, but um, I think it's just a personal preference, confidence thing. Um, but I would say generally, for the most part, most of my baits, when they're trolling, you're probably no more than 30 to 40 feet back. Maybe in the summer when the water's a little warmer and they're a little bit deeper, maybe you're running 50 feet back. But I, the minis seem to be like 28 feet back seems to be the hot <laughs> length in the spring all the way up until early June, at least in our waters. How about like when you're fishing for trophy pike, what's your, what kind of setup do you like to run for, for pike? So I'm going to be honest with you. My last trip to Tolson, um, <laughs> We were absolutely just kill, not literally killing them, killing the big pike on four inch walking shads, trolling. Um, still at like high speed or no change of, but you got to remember in that where we were trolling was in the river flowing into Great so Slave, probably pretty so cold. We still? were probably doing 
probably three to three and a half. Um, but my biggest and my boat partner's biggest uh, that week were 47 inchers. Um, Jesus. and we, we had 50, I think we had 58, 41 and bigger in the boat in six days of fishing. Um, That's both crazy. had 47s, uh, multiple 45s, 44s, lots of 41s and 42s. And we probably didn't measure several 40s that were probably 41s. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's just insane and you never had to go more than 10 minutes away from the camp yeah but That's normally awesome. normal years when i'm fishing for trophy pike uh at least up there grinder spinner baits grim reaper spinner baits are great fishing cabbage um believe it or not glide baits and bulldogs up there huh. yeah it's cast wow. when, the, when the wind was blowing on the rock out pilings uh, bulldogs and glide baits were awesome, but there's, I did some videos and it was just incredible. I mean, I did a half hour video and it was like the first 15 minutes was like almost every cast. It was like 38, 42, a 40, a 38, a 36, a 39. I mean, it was just ridiculous. That's awesome. Yeah. That is That's a place cool. you take a young kid to get them excited about fishing. Right. But then yeah. they come back and they're like, oh, I'm not doing that again. Forget it. You ruin them. You're <laughs> yeah. ruining them, Greg. You do. <laughs> but I'm going to Manitoba this year uh, at a new place, um, first week of August. So nice. Pretty far north, Manitoba? Or? Yeah, it's. Um, it's uh, 500, or I think it's about 500 miles north of Winnipeg. It's, um, you fly up to Thompson, um, and then it's a 30-minute. They have a landing strip at their, at their lodge. I think it's like a 30-minute uh, float plane, whatever you want to call it, caravan ride to their lodge. It's on Lake Waskayawaka. Yeah, now, Dunlop's who do you do those lodge. trips with? Like, just buddies, or like, who do you do so, those trips with? So, of course, with? when my dad was alive, it, you know, it was he and I. So this year, um, I'm actually a guy from the Michigan Muskie Alliance that I've known for a while and as a customer. And he said, yeah, I'll go. So he and I are going. Cool. Awesome. So, That's awesome. Yeah. And when I've gone to Talton by myself before, I always got paired up with somebody. The promoter was really good about that. And I got paired up with awesome guys. I mean, we got along. Um, no problems. One guy was from Wisconsin. Another guy was from Tennessee. Um, but, yeah, it's an awesome place. But the travel up there is just, ugh, man. And then then you're off the grid. Right. And I didn't realize my wife was so concerned about me being off the grid with my autoimmune problem and this and that, whatever. Well, this place, actually, I'm going to, they have Wi-Fi and satellite, so I can communicate every day. And so hopefully alleviate any concerns she might have. So yeah, um, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I am always amazed that my mother allowed my dad to take me to the middle of nowhere in the yep. boundary waters where this was, this was pre satellite phones. 
Oh, so sure. I, we, yeah. we only had a sat phone. We only had a sat phone on our very last trip when I was probably like 20, 22 or something. So, you know, I, I never really thought about it, but Jesus Christ, what if my dad had had a heart attack or what if we had oh, like right. broken our leg, broken a leg and like in the boundary waters, you can't just get, yep. there's no motorboats. Nope. Like you can't, you can't get picked up. And not only now am I looking back at this as a father yeah, thinking like, to myself, uh... Like that's insane. I think I think I was twelve. <laughs> I think I was twelve or thirteen when he first sure. took me to the boundary waters. For God's sake, I was like fifteen when we did our first fly-in trip. I mean, it, the things that could have gone wrong. Yeah, geez, oh man. Uh, yeah, oh. you're right. I mean, those are those things you don't think about because you're excited to go, but then you're like, ooh, what if that really happened? What would you do? <laughs> Yes, yeah, we, we he he yeah. and I did a fly. He and I did a fly-in trip where it was just the two of us. We got dropped off yeah. in, on a float plane just outside on a lake just outside of the boundary waters, and they just we just got in a canoe and we put all of our packs in the canoe and yeah. on the side of the float plane, and we started paddling, and then we watched the float plane <laughs> take off over our head, and yep. my dad and I looked at each other and it was like it's just the yep. two of us for a week, right? That's it. Yep. I and know. we ended up seeing we ended up seeing three moose on the on, going through the first creek down into the oh, down into the boundary cool. waters, yeah. and it was just like that just started. And 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 you want to talk about you know we said earlier in the podcast about taking kids up there, you know, like yep. just to get them hooked. Man, that's that's exactly what got me yeah. hooked on this stuff. And, oh, absolutely. And, and, I don't absolutely. know, man. It's just awesome. I didn't want to get away from the current discussion because it's so good, but I have two questions. <laughs> so we're getting to the tail end of this one, but we have a lot. We've got guys that are getting into the sport, listening to these. Yep. And one of the questions I have is like looking at, even if you go back to Muskie Max this year, there was like just a crazy amount of new fishermen that were in that building. Yeah. So the question, you know, you've been fishing for a long time, Greg, like, you know, you've got the bait lineup, all this yep. stuff. Like what would be the one piece of advice you would give to a new musky fisherman? Like what would you consider Ooh. the most beneficial piece of advice for them? Aside Ooh, from run man. away, run while you can. I, well, one thing I would, as a bait maker, I would say don't always believe the hype. Ooh, that's and a good one. I, I mean, when you're starting out, the last thing you want to do is start spending a bunch of money on stuff that you don't know that's proven. The best advice you can get is talk to people that have been fishing for a while. What do you use successfully? Um you know, I think it's important, too, for those new people that are coming in. What I always ask them when they come to my booth, they'll say, well, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm, I want to start fishing this lake. OK, what's the lake like? Is there structure in it? What's the water clarity? Is it clear? Is it dirty? <clears throat> you know, do you prefer to cast? Do you prefer to troll? And a lot of times there's a lot of people not asking those questions or, you know, trying to understand what they're doing. But. I think don't believe the hype on some of this stuff. Find out, talk to people that where you're going to be fishing. 
a lot of people will give information out. They're not going to give GPS coordinates and things like that, but general information. Um, I think you got to do research and it can't always be the first thing that you find. You got to dig a little deeper because you're going to get the things way off on one side and way off on the other. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, so I, I would think just really trying to get educated uh, before going out and spending a bunch of money that you may not need to um, and really focus in on how do you want to start fishing and tackling that particular body of water, um, especially if you're new. That's awesome. And then I guess I have, go ahead, Owen, you unmuted. No, there. I was going to say that goes back to, you know, I, I'm going to volunteer the hunks officially to do a seminar at, 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 uh, at Muskie Max about beginners. Like where to spend whoa, your money. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where you to see, spend your money. You should have saw Swanky's no. face. He was like, wait, it's, what? Think about it. Where You're do you, that's, what? no, that's the, that's the, <clears throat> that is the exact question. Like, where do you spend your money? If you don't have like the guys that have yes. been in the musky game for years, they know exactly where they're going to spend their money when they walk into musky max or any of these other shows. So mm -hmm. the question is, is for the guys that don't know, like what in, in the guys that need to know, dude, go spend $25 on minis, go yep. spend th that's, that is money well spent as opposed to going to booth X and spending $95 on a bait. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. what I'm talking about. Like the, the, the common sense stuff, because when people walk into shows, like they are, are totally overwhelmed by everything, oh, without you know, doubt. the yeah, smells, yeah. the sounds, you name it. Yep. And it's like, you know what? That can help people. Yeah. I, yep. I in so I, yes, the smell, the smell of rubber. rubber. When you walk into, Sausage. when you walk into a, a musky show, <laughs> the smell of rubber yep. is off putting. <laughs> It hits you hard. If I'm a kid, if I'm a kid or if I'm a beginner, I'm like, what the hell did I just did I just walk into like a a a, a sex sex toy like factory? Like it's just latex and rubber and like I've holy never shit. once I've never Stripper once glitter. Well, Ryan, you haven't been around very much. Well, you I'll tell you, Owen, <laughs> you're right. And I can tell you this at the Ohio show for the first several years, I think I had musky innovations right next to my boot. And oh, geez. until it like dissipates, I'm, I'm telling you, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all of that stuff is as a beginner, as a new musky fisherman, like it's silly. Like you think, yeah. okay, you walk into a place and, and it's sights, it sounds, it smells like those are yep. the things that, we, we Ryan, you were saying earlier about all these little business concepts, but the very general ones are like sight, sound, smells, like general, very big factors. And you know, like I, I, I'm convinced that people get overwhelmed at musky shows because of those things. And, and Ryan, I, I think you know, you you mentioned something good. It's like, where do you go? Because us as vendors, of course, we're going to try to tell you, oh well, the minis are on fire, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's, it's not that it wouldn't necessarily be true, but that may not be the right thing that they want to do. Um, you know, case in point, maybe they're just getting started. Maybe they have like heavy bass rods. Well, you shouldn't direct them to go buy a bulldog. 
because they're like, that's the wrong, you're not matching things. When somebody walks into my booth, that's the first question I have is what's your setup? Because I don't want to sell you a double 10 bucktail that you're going to go and try to put on a heavy bass rod and be like, this thing's a piece of shit. Like, I can't even get it to work. It's like, (laughs) of course not. It's not the right equipment. You know, it's it it, it takes that's the type of stuff that we take for granted that the beginners don't know. And that's why people, I think, have gravitated in in part to this podcast is because we talk about that type of stuff and it's not over your head stuff. Yeah. And look, we all know there are people out there that exaggerate things and they, you know, and it's and people will buy into it again. Don't necessarily believe the hype. Find stuff that has been tried and true and worked. And, um, you know, I've just seen it over and over. So there's an awful lot of good bait makers and builders out there. A lot of good stuff. And. I would never say anything bad about anybody because everybody has their own special niche and customer base and, you know, following and all of that. And that's great. I agree. No, I agree completely. I think it took me a long time to get there though. Sure. That's why I always ask that, that question. And, (laughs) and, And a lot of times like we hear very similar responses, but I do think guys need to take extra time at those shows, you know, with people and, really try to understand how they like to fish. Cause I mean, how many times like, like Swank, I know that you've had, you had this question too. Like how many times at a show do you have somebody come up to you? That's like, Hey, what do you, what's good? Like, what, what should I fish? Right. What should what I buy? What works? What works? And yeah. it's like, yeah, they all I'm work. Like, they all work, but how do you want to fish? And it's different situations maybe where X works better than Y. Right. Exactly. But they won't necessarily know that. And that's where starting from the very beginning is where you you, like, what's your equipment? Because if you don't have the equipment to run certain things, like that's just not even in the ballpark of things to purchase. So it's like, and you can, you can winnie it down. You can whittle it down to what am I going to spend my money on based on, okay, what is my equipment? If I have a, a boat with six, with you know, with tracks, with six down easters and fat AZ musky rod, you know, rod sure. holders, my my game, you know, my, my my world is wide open. But if I'm one of those guys that doesn't have rod holders and I'm going to be trolling with the rod under my sure. hand, under right. my arm, which is a lot of <laughs> people people do. I mean, before they get into this stuff, That's I mean, true. We're, we're naive if we think that people don't do that stuff. Yeah, you're yeah, absolutely right. We did it, Dan and I absolutely. did it for years. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, I remember holding one and then jamming one between my legs. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what we I, did, man. I can honestly say I've never trolled for muskies with the rod in my hand. hundred percent. I caught my first. My dad and I caught nine muskies on in our one week trolling with rods under our 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 elbow uh, under our armpits. It's amazing. Just no clue what we were doing. I got I got one more question for Greg. Well, I actually have two, but. Yeah. Okay. So what is the Greg Tem boat snack of choice? Oh, don't say man. sausage. The stumper. Mm. I'm going to be honest with you. I usually don't eat on the boat. <laughs> There's man, another one. Got so many people don't eat one. on boats. 
I guess Holy this is cow. why I don't catch fish because um, I spend all my day snacking. I know. I, I probably would and say watermelons and PBJ. If I had a boat snack, it would probably either be trail mix or peanut butter crackers. Oh yeah, we're talking. <laughs> I'm on board with that. Good. Yeah, that's a good good one there. <laughs> How do all you people go all day without eating? I, dude, I, I got to eat. <laughs> I, I had. Is that like, like a, a level that we haven't reached yet? Like a, a, <laughs> the next know. step? I'm like lost. Stop eating. I don't know, man. I don't know. I can't do it. I got to have like all kinds of food and snacks with me. Now, well, I, I will say about- this. If I'm fishing all day, sure, I'm going to have something. But generally speaking, I don't fish all day. I might fish four or five hours. So okay, it's hard right. for me to fish like a full day unless I'm in a tournament or something, and you know, just with everything else going on, family wise and stuff. That's I fair. It. I get that yeah. too. All right, one last one, then I'll shut my mouth. This is a no, this is going to be this is going to be a very personal question, though, oh, because no. not, not not personal so for you, the but lights? personal for me because I'm, <laughs> oh. I'm I'm going fishing this weekend. So where? Okay, just and and I I already know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna ask this anyway. So let's just say you have a pile of minis that you just picked up during show season. <laughs> okay, let's say you've got. Where should I go, and how much line should <laughs> yeah, I let out? Yeah, like like where like ideally, like in an ideal world, like where what's the bet? Where's the best place to put a mini in the spread? And like you know, let's just say it's like April 15th ish. Yep. And you know, the water temps are probably like around 48, 50 degrees. Yep. Like, where, like where is the ideal spot where you would put a mini at in your spread? So if you're asking, uh, are you, so my guess is you're trolling along either structure, a bank, something, a break line. Um, I would have it on the inside, the shallower side. Um, and honestly, could be an out rod. It could be a down rod. I don't think, I don't think it matters that much, but if you're wanting to get tight, like tight, tight, obviously put it on the, the shallowest one. Um, and probably running 20 to 28 feet back. Okay. That's I, good. And, and I'm only telling you that's cause that's what all my customers tell me. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. So you're probably running three to four and a half feet down, maybe five. Okay. All right, that's good. My number, my number last year was fifteen. I'm just throwing that out there. Fifteen feet. Yeah, I like. So that. you were really short lining. I was a little bit. All right. But I, I, I'm just curious. You know, it's a fresh yeah. start, fresh new year, hey. new me. Remember what I said. Go with what you're confident in. Yeah. If that's what your confidence level is and you've caught them at that line back and do it again, make it repeatable. All right. Well, I'm going to go. It's always I'm more go. fun when you can see the bait. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, now, I will I'm gonna... tell you, I've got live scope and I've pointed it back at my lures running. And I literally had, I saw a muskie. It, 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 the lure went past the muskie and the muskie turned around, came right up to that bait. And I told my boat partner, I said, Bob, that rod's going to go off in a second. That muskie came right up to that J13 and sniffed it and sat there and then just faded off. 
Huh. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> That'd be awesome to watch, though. Oh, it is, but it's like so frustrating. <laughs> I've seen them jigging, like you know, with a bondy or a similar bait. They'll come right up to it on the when you're up, and then they fade away and they drop down. They jig it up, they fly back up to it, and then they just sniff it and go away. It's just like, are you <laughs> kidding me? But if you didn't have that, you'd never even know they were there. Yeah. So, like playing with a cat. Yep. Exactly. It's that fun, I that but, I have experience with. Yeah. Playing with cats, not so much catching <laughs> muskies. Right. I got the death paws down there, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right. What else do we have for Greg here? Yeah. Shoot away, man. This has been fun. I, I've enjoyed. Yeah, I've enjoyed. Yeah, I've, absolutely, on. man. I've enjoyed this quite a bit, and yeah. uh, I'm I'm with Donnie in that I'm I want to get myself a, some minis here. All right, yeah, so we got to put a big hunks order in here. Absolutely. <laughs> See, I I was the only one that was prepared this year, and <laughs> yeah. I actually went out and got my minis, it, you know, at a respectable time, so Greg could actually go fish. Now he's gonna have to build you guys a bunch of baits. You just well, let now me know. you made me feel all guilty about it. I know, it. I did. I know, I'm sorry. You guys let me know ASAP how many you want. I'll get them cut out. A bunch. Right. We, 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 will, we'll, we'll, we'll put our heads together and we'll yeah. get a little yep. order together. Because I 100%. Because yep. I, I actually want to – I think those would be perfect for my kids to throw. Oh, absolutely. For sure. For Versi- sure. Versatility, baby. Yep. I'm about that life. <laughs> I will say I was very excited. I picked up one of your, uh, it's actually a uh, LT. Yep. At the uh, Three Rivers Banquet this year. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. Good uh, deal. Had that out a couple times now. Good. We'll get one. Yeah. Or two or oh, three. I will. It looks good. <laughs> Nick's all sneaky. He's like, get, he's fishing, not telling anybody. I know. He doesn't tell us. That. Yeah. Like he's been out six times already. And I know. He's been out said six anything. Times. Just Wade's get a random. three fish. He get out when he can. You know? Wade has more fish than all of us. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> he's, a, he's not even a year old yet. Yeah. Got him. You know, I, I do think that if there was a way to do like a seminar at like, the musky max show for beginners i think that would be a great idea the question that i would have is who would you have like on the panel right i feel like it'd be good to get like people that were beginners in the last like two years or something and what they've learned and right because you wouldn't want to have vendors up there because they'd be like yeah oh yeah come get my baby yeah don't buy any of that other stuff right right John, no, right. I wouldn't do that. I'm, I'm kind of voting for Greg and Owen to take ownership of this one. That's what I <laughs> want to say. I'd do it. I, I, I think it, I, honestly, I would do it and I would never mention my baits for one second. You yeah. know what I mean? No, like, I it's not, either. I think it's that's all not even, yeah, that's not even important. It's, it's more like, okay, people come in with X amount of dollars and beginners yep. aren't ready to spend $750. Like, yep. you know, like like the guys that are 750 to $1000. Like they might come there with 200 bucks and trying to spread 200 bucks out over Musky Max, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. You can you can blow a big chunk of that with you if your eyes are too big for your stomach. Yep. 
Swinky went through that in the first minute and a half of the show. The show didn't even start yet. <laughs> I have it's a Friday I have, night. Swinky's <laughs> eyes aren't too big for his stomach. He knows yeah. exactly what he's going for. I have, I have a clip. I'm 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 going through musky. Plan. I'm going through musky max footage right now, and I did a little cut with with Donnie at at the booth, and it was literally like three minutes into the show, and he was like. I already spent four hundred dollars. The show hasn't even started yet. We're have to we're have to bleep it out. You better, so yeah, you better bleep that number out. Donnie had to go into the uh, in case of emergency break glass cash stash. <laughs> yeah, I I over exaggerated the number. I I, I over exaggerated. The, the you know completely. what's sad is I spent enough money that weekend that I didn't realize that you exaggerated that number. <laughs> <laughs> well this has been a lot of fun man greg this has been a blast oh, i really yeah. appreciate you coming yep. on and Real telling fun. your story and a little bit yep. about your baits and i'm sure our listeners are going to be wanting to yep. put some orders here yep glad anyone else help. have anything else they want to talk about what what all shows do you typically do greg so um this for this past show season i did um ohio that's 20 minutes from my house, so that's a no-brainer. Um, then I did the New York, um, Chautauqua one, and then Muskie Max. And I'm on the fence about the New York one. I'm definitely doing Ohio and Muskie Max. Um, okay. And then um, doing like two to three months of orders. Um, that's those, I think that's kind of my model going forward. Those typically um, open up at, at like january and through march yeah i'll probably open it up like around thanksgiving okay um you know and i'm literally just finishing up my last orders the st Clair guides and stuff that that ordered stuff so those are going out um it just when i had my website up and it was just you know i might go a week and not get anything and then i'd get somebody that wants two and then Another next day, I'd get somebody that wants one, and it's just like in a very specific, and it's something very specific, and it's like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And at this point, I bought a new boat. I got it last spring, and I fished a lot more. I just want to do that, you know. I mean, the shows and everything are awesome. It's fun. I love you know talking with everybody, and but man, it's you know I got a regular job too, and I want to kind of enjoy stuff you know mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> absolutely so. man absolutely you should yeah 100 percent, man yeah. because there's you know tomorrow isn't guaranteed so that, enjoy you're, enjoy you're today absolutely right one more question what's what's the new boat what did what did we end up with oh so i ended up getting um a triton fish hunter 186 so it's a glass nice. you know walleye boat um yeah. i tell you what i I'm thrilled with it. Um, I don't think I'll ever go back to an aluminum boat. Um, I had a Ranger aluminum right before it. It was a nice boat, but all the compartments leaked, you know, I mean, water just, they're just, that's the way they're designed it. You know, the ride is better with the fiberglass. Um, And my gosh, the way the prices of the boats now, I mean, that boat, luckily when I got it, as soon as I took delivery, that boat went up five grand, um, for the exact same boat. Um, yeah. but I got a one fifty 
um, Merc on it, and then I got a, a Pro Kicker 9.9 on it. I got an iTroll set up for that. That's awesome. And then, of course, I run all Garmin stuff. What are your horsepower restrictions locally? Like, if you got a uh, 150? Yep. So we have some restricted lakes like Leesville, Piedmont. Those are 10 horse um, and under. Um CJ Brown, which is near me, that's unlimited. Caesars is unlimited. Clear Fork is an eight mile per hour speed limit. So you can put whatever size you want on, but you can only go eight miles an hour. And they do have a ranger there. Um, I wish more well, lakes did that instead of yeah. the horsepower. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. The odd one is Pima Tuming. A 20 um, horse. I think it's a 20 horse. I've never been there, but that gigantic body of water you'd think that man that you get and, caught in weather out there I, that could be and i think that's why it's up to 20 instead of nine nine yeah i think it was, it was 10 based, four yeah. or something right yeah but that like why seemed, would why would conyot be unlimited and piney be restricted it's not a state park yeah. yeah state parks are restricted like lakes like uh, like conyot they're they're, they're wide freaking open. Yeah, that's and that's what, what like all the Army Corps, like uh, Woodcock. Okay. And, uh, and then if they're like, like I think Tamarack's technically maybe like a drinking water. Something. That's what that's I why was it's wondering. Electric. Is it drinking water? Is there anything like that? Or yeah, some sort of water supply. Yeah, connection. that's that's my problem here. Like with like Owen and I, like Westmoreland County, well, like well. Oh, and you're in Allegheny, but you're right you're on, right, right, you're right the border. Here. So, okay. like all of our lakes are they're electric only, and most of them are because they're oh, they're, wow. dr- they're drinking reservoirs. So, like mm-hmm. in some of those, like you get like we have this really awesome lake by us that's off limits to the public, Beaver Run mm-hmm. Reservoir. There are absolute giant fish in that place, but you can't you're not it's not open to fishing, and that's because you can't that's fish the, it at all. Not no. even not even with the not even from bank. Uh, you cannot oh, bank wow. yank there. And that's because of the yuppies down in you know Murraysville and their drinking water. <laughs> but you know, that's the that's what we end up with here is like all of our reservoirs, like Bridgeport and all the ones that are by me, they're all like drinking water. So oh, wow. they, don't, they don't let Greg's gonna be coming over hopping the fence looking for trophy untouched <laughs> pike. But even the, right. you know three hours from home it's uh even the non, you know, the 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 gas lakes, they're typically restricted here in Pennsylvania. I mean, almost really, almost all of them are. I mean, twenty nine nine. I mean, yeah. if I wanted to buy a boat tomorrow, I would be forced to make a decision on okay, like the engine wise, do I want to get a big engine right. and a and a nine nine kicker, knowing that I would probably just run the nine nine kicker like ninety percent of the time. time. Yeah, right. And the big motor would only be for trips and things like that. So it's kind of like, why why would why would I even consider buying a boat with a big motor? I had no idea. One week the river. Yeah, Yeah. I mean the yeah the rivers for sure. But then you you see the video of the cracker plant, and it's like ah like you know 
do you want to fish that type of stuff? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, hell yeah, freaking... that's a big fish spot right <laughs> yeah, there. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was watching a video of the cracker plant and I'm like, holy shit, that's a big ass river there. And look at all that smog and shit. Jeez, oh, and oh, that's man. right where I live. You realize? I know. That, right? <laughs> yes, I know. I know 100%. Cracker plant is five minutes from my house. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's insane the size of that thing. It I is know. freaking huge. And they you built know, that. It, they built that in like no time, too. Yeah, it's only take. It only took a few years. Yeah. So you know, yeah. You, if you want to fish rivers, you can. You can have a a big rivers. engine here. You got rivers. Gotcha. Kenzu, wow. Raystown, Chautauqua, Conneaut, Edinburgh. So Raystown is unlimited. Yeah. Okay, because that's where I think the Region Three. Um, uh, Muskie tournament is at oh, Raystown. Yeah. We just talked about that at our meeting last night. Yeah, I saw somebody just posted the rules for that. I think, uh, okay, that's a big uh, Matt lake. Dixon, I think, is maybe in charge of that. Okay, but yeah, yeah. huge lake. It's it's kind of got everything flooded timber, yeah, you know, cliffs. I think that's about a five hour drive, five and a half hour drive for me. I don't, I doubt that I'm going to make that. Yeah. It's, it's a formidable lake. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Big fish lake. And then I think I heard. Those are stripers in like the big stripers in that lake. Stripers, lake trout, everything. There's a lot of big fish in that lake. Yeah. I heard that they're going to move the Region 3 tournament next year to someplace in New York where they have Tigers. And I don't know where that is. I'd be, I'd probably even be further for you because I think most of those are Finger Lakes region. Gotcha. Yeah, it would be then. Yep, for sure. Like Otis Coe and Juanita. Might be kind of fun, though. Yeah. What's what's that other one up there? Oneida? Yeah. Is Is it Oneida? I think Anita so. or Oneida. Oneida. Yeah. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, there's a lot of I mean, that's the other thing. We get kind of overlooked a lot. I think, you know, Ohio, West Virginia, PA, New York. Like we got a lot of good lakes. Mm-hmm. You know, stocking's been pretty good in Ohio and PA. Yeah. And, you know, it's just we got a lot of good water. People yeah. uh here in a couple in a week or so. What a week? Yeah, here in a week we got we got guys coming in from Quite a ways to to do a little hunk spring fling, so we'll see how that goes. Oh yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. Nice. Yeah. So the weather's well, starting to look okay. I, I yeah. got I got the got the latest forecast, and it's looking to be looks like it's going to be fishable for sure. I mean, not that it wouldn't be fishable, but you know, it looks like it's going to be decent weather and have a little overcast stuff, a little maybe a little little rain, but not too much and. I don't know. It kind of <clears throat> smells like fish to me. No tornadoes it's... this time. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's a that's a story for another day. Oh no, that, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, we just fished through a tornado. It was fine. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's great. Tornado it's warning. It's just a warning. Whatever. Yeah. yeah actually, whatever. didn't happen. <laughs> a lot oh, like us man. catching fish. Didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're we're over the two hour mark on this one, boys. Oh yeah. Well, see, Greg, over. see, we had more than enough to talk about. Oh, yeah. yeah, I I said I don't know that I can entertain you for two hours. So, uh, but I guess 
you proved us uh, wrong. We like to entertain easily. ourselves. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're good at entertaining ourselves, too. That's right. <laughs> easily done. No, that's all good. Well, we really appreciate this, man. And, oh, and, and I 100%. We're going to put Donnie in charge of the, the mini order. Okay. Yep. Just I'm get on to it. me soon. <laughs> It, uh, if I get on your Facebook page, is that the way I can see like some, yeah, the colors yeah, just, and stuff like that? I'm sh- we I'm sure we're friends, aren't we? Yeah, of yeah. course we're friends. Well, Greg. I thought I was sure we were, but we're yeah, friends. Just message me. We've been friends for years, Greg. That's what I thought. So, <laughs> man, I tell you what, though, <laughs> there are sometimes there's some people though that I'm getting friend requests. I'm like, I think I'm already friends with them. <laughs> and then I go look, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you get people hacking the accounts, and oh yeah, yeah. yeah so that's why you got to look. Oh look, Nick just sent me a friend yeah. request. Oh, there it is. Decline. Uh, <laughs> good move. If you get one from Hacker. a Tom Venata, you definitely want to yeah. decline that one too. No comment. <laughs> just don't make me mad. <laughs> Well, Greg, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, we really appreciate you. it. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, Like I said, I enjoyed this very much. And uh, anytime you want to do it, you want another topic, we can have another topic. All right. Let's do Perfect. it. Let's do it again sometime, Definitely. man, for yeah. sure. I'm hoping to be very much like my, my cohort, Dan Lutton. I'm hoping to send you a picture <laughs> this weekend, but we'll see. I'm not as good. No, that I'm would not be as great. Good. Not as good of a stick here, but we'll see what happens. I got confidence in you, man. You can do it. <laughs> All right, boys. Just remember, All right, boys. it's never the lure that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's never it's the lure. It's you. It's me, 100%. It, it's never that. the Indian, it's the arrow. I'll remember that <laughs> as I'm pulling the boat in with my head down, tail between right. my legs, dejected. So. All, All right, good, boys. Guys. All right, guys. Thank thanks. you, Greg. Have a good right, Thanks, Greg. Hey, you bet. Guys. Take care, guys. We'll see you. See ya. See ya. I had to shake him on my last case. Big O don't play. O don't play.